Oh, okay. Hey, hi. Oh. Uh, sorry about that. I got confused. Hey, everybody. It's Chet. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. Today, we are interviewing artist Adam McCarthy, who is kind of a new guy on the scene. But he's doing really great work, and he's got a really interesting day job, too. So, Usually I record these intros after I do the interview, but I'm so behind on everything this week that I'm actually recording it while I'm waiting for him to get home to do this interview tonight. And it is Monday night. Normally I have everything to Brian Kilgore, our amazing audio engineer. I usually have him the materials by, you know, uh, Monday at the latest, Monday night at the latest, but usually Sunday I try to, or early Monday, but it's been a busy week. Aside from Doc, my dog, who's dying, um, I had, uh, sorry, I'm thirsty, Um, I had a Black Friday sale, which did well. That was pretty cool. Um, Still going on, actually. So it ends December 6th if you use the code FEAR20. (sighs) Sorry, I'm not very prepared today. Um, FEAR20 at uh, chetzar.bigcartel.com. You get 20% off your order. And if you're a $50 subscriber on my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Chetzar, if you're a $50 a month subscriber, you get always get a $20 uh, 20% discount on everything I sell. So um, you get 40% off. How's that? Oh, sorry. I'm belching. So yeah, it's been a busy, uh, busy week, busy couple weeks. I I've been doing some uh, uh, the stuff. The tool posters are kind of going crazy. I did these two tool 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 posters. I did the artwork for them and um, got a lot of people hitting me up about that. If, they, if I'm going to get any, if the, if they can buy any off me, because I guess they sold out pretty fast. So I am getting some. I think I've talked about this already didn't I? Last week, probably. Um, I am getting some. They're supposed to be coming this week. And as with everything, I'm selling them through my Patreon first. So Patreon people get the first opportunity to buy them. And this is not me capitalizing on the fact that I did these rare tool posters. This was completely unexpected. I've been, my business model has been, you can ask anybody on my Patreon, for as long as I've been on Patreon, it's been people who pay $50 a month or higher get first opportunity to uh, buy any new products I'm selling on my big cartel page. They get the first opportunity and then they get the 20% discount as well as all the other tiers below. So it's not cheap. 50 bucks a month isn't cheap, but it uh, you you get the chance to get all the new stuff first, studies, whatever. And like I said, you get 20% off all the time and um, all the other stuff in the Patreon. Anyway, point being, 
I didn't know the tool posters were going to be crazy where people were going to be going mad trying to get them. I had no idea. So uh, it just kind of worked out. It worked out for me that I've been rewarding my $50 a month patrons for a while now. And <clears throat> now they're going to get first crack at the tool posters when I get them in. So I'm probably going to draw on them. I got to figure out a price. I got to, it's going to take me, you know, it's not going to be this week. I'm going to be selling them. I got to figure it out. I have to do, I have to figure out a price that is fair to the buyer, but it's not too cheap so that people don't buy them and flip them. Oh. Okay. Sorry about that interruption. That was Adam McCarthy calling in. And, um, we just did the interview and it was great. So I, I, I wasn't expecting him to call in so soon, but um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. What was I saying? Uh, oh, the tool posters. Yeah. I'm, um, I think that's where I was at. I'm getting those. Uh, I should be getting those this week and I got to figure out how I'm going to sell them. I think I said this already, but, the way I, I run my Patreon, it's $50 a month. People get first chance to buy things. And then the lower levels get second chance to buy things. Then I'd take them to the general public. So I don't know that they're going to get, I don't know how many I'm getting, how many posters I'm getting. I don't know how I, uh, how I think they're all probably going to sell at the to the $50 people, but maybe not. Um, they might not all sell out. So. We'll see. Uh, what else was I going to talk about? Um, did I mention my dog was dying? My dog is dying and he is, he's finally, uh, he's been comfortable. He hasn't eaten in three or four weeks, which is incredible. Uh, he, he has cancer. It can't be treated and um, he just won't eat. So, uh, he is, he's finally gotten to a point where we've got a vet coming out to put him down tomorrow. So he, he's, he's at a point where he can barely walk or stand up. So it's time. Um, but he's been comfortable his last few weeks and he had a lot longer life than he would have had if we hadn't rescued him because he was going to be put down that day eight years ago or so eight or nine years ago when we got him so he got eight or nine extra years out of life so that's pretty good so a fond farewell to doc who was kind of a badass dog very scary to people who didn't know him and people who came to our front door <laughs> uh, so but 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 with the heart of gold Anyway, that's what I've mainly been dealing with um, the last couple of weeks. And uh, so that sucks. But, you know, it happens. Uh, okay. Let's get on to new subscribers, new Patreon subscribers. We've got two new subscribers this week. R. Freeman and Kevin McGinnis. Thank you both for subscribing and supporting the podcast and keeping it free for everyone to enjoy. 
yeah, patreon.com slash darkartsociety. If you join for as little as a dollar a month, you get the podcast a day early. Although this podcast, I don't know if it's going to be a day early because I'm so late on everything because of the dog situation. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then you get in, uh, we've got a new website, darkartsociety.com. And when you join the Patreon, you get to start an account there. And it's really cool. Josh G just did such an amazing job with this website. I'm so, I, I, it feels good to use. It's, it's a good feeling website. And uh, we're building a little community there. So that's that. Uh, you know what else I'm doing? I might do it tonight, although it's 1130 already. It's Monday night, 1127 PM now. I've got to do a Hellboy painting for my friend Gary Diocampo. I was curating a Hellboy art show at Capro Gallery this month. And I'm painting a portrait of Hellboy, but I'm doing it based on Mike Mignola's comic book, Hellboy. Actually, it's it's my take on Hellboy, but based on um, not the Ron Perlman makeup that that the, the film version I was involved with, but more like taking inspiration from the comic, from the original comic. So that's really fun. It's so weird. You know, it's just, it's weird. You know, if you've had a pet die you, or been a, in a war that's sick and dying, it's so weird to have, you know, all the activity has to keep going. I have to keep paying the bills. And it's like in the background of painting this painting and doing all this stuff is this dog dying. It's such a, a cognitive dissonance. It's really fucked up. So he's in the, he's sitting in the chair right now. And I'm probably after this going to go and put a session in on the um, Hellboy painting. Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, you know what else is really cool that I, I did on Saturday? We had the closing of the Dark Art Society group show, the first official Dark Art Society group show. And I wanted to get, you know, kind of make the uh, the um, uh, closing show kind of special. We didn't promote it that much, so not a lot of people showed up. But, man, it was a magical afternoon, I have to say. Um me and my good friend Christopher Ulrich, who's also one of my favorite artists in the world, he, we collaborated on a painting. Normally, I am not into collaborate painting collaborations because I feel like they usually look like two different paintings stuck together, and I just it just doesn't feel good to me when I you know see them. Um, not every collaboration, of course, but certain collaborations you know i it's just it just feels weird to me to have two different artists kind of creating their own style in one painting and so uh we decided to to do a live painting together and approach it like 20 to 30 minutes a sitting and just kind of tag team it and man we cranked out this 24 by 30 inch painting it's on my instagram of this big bulging bloodshot eyed demon thing and it looks it came out so good and it was so weird because we've never painted together before and i've never painted like that with anybody before where you 
you paint for 20 minutes and then they come and paint for 20 minutes on top of what you did. And you just are kind of both following uh, the painting. You know, you're trying to realize what this painting wants to be. And man, it just came together so fast and it was so fun. It really was uh, magical working. It really was. It was a trip. And and we came the, came out of it with this badass painting. Really had a fun time. So I want to do more of that with Christopher because we just painted together like it was like we've always done it. It was so weird. I can't tell you how weird it was. I've got the painting sitting in my studio and I'm just looking at it like, wow, that just magically appeared in two and a half hours. That was so crazy. So uh, for those of you who did come and hang out and watch us paint, thank you for coming. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, okay. Quickly now, quickly now, let's get on with the five questions and get on with the interview because it's late here. Um, let's see. I just asked for new questions on Facebook because I um, am out of questions, I think. So now I have to look for them. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Michael Miller on the Dark Art Society, the new darkartsociety.com website. I asked, hey, everybody, I need some more five questions for the podcast. And Michael Miller said, what are some of the strategies you have thought of to get more people to this website to reply to your posts? That was funny. Okay. Um, so let's see. Let me see. Five questions, five questions. Here it goes. They're coming. I just have to choose them. I almost didn't do this. I was going to take the uh, week off of podcasting because of the dog, and I also got sick. So I'm kind of got a cold. So I almost bailed on this thing. And then at the last minute, Adam McCarthy came through for me. And so you should thank Adam McCarthy for making the time so late in the game. Okay, let's see. Um, wow. There's a lot of questions. Okay, sorry about this. Here's another, here's a serious Michael R. Miller question. How far would you paint out of your style if the money is right? I'm assuming you wouldn't, but curious. You know, it's easy to say I wouldn't paint this or that if, you know, if someone offered me a million dollars, but <laughs> it would be hard to turn down. It depends. If I didn't need the money, I wouldn't do it. But if I did need the money, I might do it. Although, you know, I turn commissions down all the time because when people come to me and they say, you know, they want to be involved in the commission, like they want to be involved in designing the painting with me. And I've had bad luck with that in the past. Um, I feel like the, the best value for your money getting a commission is to, you know, if you want to throw out a, a rough idea for me to work from and then let me go at it, that's cool. If it's an idea I resonate with. But I feel like I'm kind of, um, if, if to take on a job like that, 
I would not feel good about it because I, I know how I work and I don't feel like the person would be getting the best value for their money. Um, if they, if they kind of did this close collaboration on a commission with me. Uh, so I usually turn those down and those are pretty good money. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, when I paint, when I do a commission, I just want the, the, um, the buyer to be happy. And I don't know if I could do something too far out of my style. Like I probably could, couldn't do a good abstract painting. Maybe I could. I don't know. How far out of your painting style? Would... Hmm. I don't know, Michael. It's perplexing. Like I said, though, it depends how much I needed the money. Um, Ashley Dark. Which artist would be your dream collaboration, living or dead or undead, and why? Mm -hmm. I would have to say Bekshinsky. Once again, I'm always saying Bekshinsky because I love Bekshinsky. But I could see painting collaborating with Bekshinsky in the way that Christopher and I painted, uh, collaborated. But honestly, now that I think about it, Christopher Ulrich might be the one. I mean, it was so it was so much fun and so easy. We talked about doing it again, maybe every month or something, creating an event or something. So, you know, as far as the the dream collab, uh, maybe Bekshinsky, but let's go with Christopher Ulrich. Um, uh, Andrew Hawkins asked, what are the traits of a dark art painting? Well, that is really difficult. Um, you know, it's like, uh, that, uh, I've said this in an interview too. Was it Ed Meese? There was this guy in the Reagan administration or no, Jesse Helms. Who's like this racist asshole, super ultra conservative guy. And they were having hearings on maybe Robert Maplethorpe artwork being pornography. And he said, I don't, you know, that when the question came up of um, what is pornography and what is art, he said, I know it, pornography, I know it when I see it. And <clears throat> as much as he's an asshole, or he was an asshole, and not, not a person that I liked in any way, I always felt that way about dark art. It's like, you know it when you see it. It, it can be so many different things, but I feel like I know it when I see it, if it fits in that. It doesn't have to be horror, or it doesn't have to be bloody, or it doesn't have to be obvious you know it can be subtle uh, that's that's too hard of a question Andrew I don't think there is I mean you could go and list all the traits but it would be a really long list personally 
I think, uh, you know, for me and what I do, that's, I guess that's all I can really comment on the dark art that I do, you know, an element of the grotesque, I guess, um, an element of surrealism and mystery. And, um, I don't know, creepiness. I, don't, I this might be an edition of the five questions where I don't give any good answers. Uh, okay, so that was three questions. Okay, Deanna Pulowski, what three artists first inspired you growing up, and why? I mean, I've talked about this before, but since she asked, I'll say it again. Uh, it was Frazetta. Frank Frazetta, my first favorite artist, Frank Frazetta. Then it was Giger, and then it was probably Bekczynski, but that was as an adult. Giger, I was a teenager or 12 years old or something. If you're talking about childhood, I'd probably say, um, uh, it's hard to say, it's hard to say. Uh, I was a big MC Escher fan when I was a kid. My stepdad, you know, he was really inspiring to me as far as you know his seeing his paintings and watching them happen i guess you know it, if i had to pick three i'd probably say for my childhood i would say frazetta giger and my dad james r <clears throat> okay now for the last question let me find a good one this might take a second uh, oh there's a lot of good questions uh, How much do you worry? Hmm. Okay, this is a tough one. So we'll go with all five questions. We'll have shitty answers this week. Okay, Shane Isaacowski. I often find myself wondering if any of my decisions will have an impact on other artists as far as the products they offer and the prices they offer them. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how that impact how that can imp impact the art market as a whole. And I think the pressure would increase the more influential the artist. How much do you worry at the level you're in your career that you're currently at about your, how, about how your actions will negatively or positively affect emerging artists, therefore changing the landscape of dark art movement and its collectors? Okay, let's think about that. Of course, I picked another really hard one, but it's a good question. Uh, I don't really think that... I can't think of something that I've done that would negatively affect up-and-coming artists because I'm trying to keep my prices increasing you know, just at the stage I'm at, which is what you're supposed to do when you have an art career, you're supposed to keep raising your prices little by little. I've said this before, so that you, you are rewarding the people that initially invested in you with, by buying your artwork, you're rewarding them by the value of their work going up. And you're also, you know, getting paid what you're worth with the experience you get. So that doesn't seem bad for, um, Oh, how do your factions will negatively or positively affect? Hmm. 
I guess I, you know, honestly, I don't worry about it that much. It's not that I don't care. Obviously, anyone that listens to this podcast and knows me knows that I care deeply about the dark art scene um, and the artists that are doing dark art. I'm a champion of all artists that are doing great dark artwork. Um, I guess I don't worry about it because I'm, I'm always trying to think, I think in terms of the movement, you know, I think in terms of how can I move the movement forward and have it be something beneficial for all the artists in the movement. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, can't really think of anything that I've worried about. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, maybe I'm too, so self-involved. I don't worry about it, but um, I'll tell you <clears throat> when I do one thing I could say is when I do find something to worry about that might affect people, and I'm not even thinking of any specific thing, I do like obsess over it. But that's because, you know, I've got OCD and, and, um, it, it's kind of, you know, I've got it under control in my life now. It's not that bad. But, you know, if I say something like, if I say something stupid on a podcast and I do this all the time, I will think about it for like days after, you know, like if I, what if someone takes it the wrong way and I've insulted somebody accidentally? Every once in a while, I'll have said something that was like, oh, that was stupid, or I didn't really mean it, and it was just a joke, but it's going to hurt someone's feelings. I seriously worry about that a lot when I screw up uh, or when I think maybe I've screwed up. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, you know, honestly, I hope I don't sound like a dick, but I feel like. I'm kind of a good example for young artists getting in the dark art scene. At least that's how I'm trying to, to, to do it. I think that's what I'm doing. Um, I mean, I'm kind of, I have a, a way that I am presenting my work and I'm, you know, my business model I think is pretty good to work from for other artists to get inspiration from newer artists. Um, I'm ethical. I, I, I take that stuff really seriously. Uh, I take the movement really seriously and, and I, and I always want what's best for the movement. And I, um, I don't know. I just feel like I'm, uh, I'm always, trying to do what's best for everybody in the movement. So, you know, if, if, if you want to, if I'm missing your point, Shane, or if I'm not quite getting the gist of it, then you can maybe, uh, add, add to that question and I can clarify it. But see, there you go. Five, five good questions with five half ass shitty answers so i apologize for that but i'm sick 
I've got a cold. All right, let's get get on with this. Um, enough of me rambling on and on. Okay, this is too long. This is 27-minute intro. It's not good. All right. Well, the Adam McCarthy episode's like only an hour and a half, so that kind of balances out, I suppose. You know another weird thing about Adam uh, McCarthy coming on? This has been really strange. Not that I need to talk about something else because I'm trying to wrap this up, but I've noticed a pattern on the, on the podcast happening. Un, unplanned, which is weird, like synchron, synchronistic. For example, I had Meetsmeyer on. I had Terry Wolfing, Wolfinger on next, who I didn't even really realize was so digital. Like I knew he did digital stuff, but I didn't know he was so digital. So I had Meets Myers, a digital artist, and then I happened to have um, uh, uh, Terry on, who's digital. And then now Adam, um, just because you know we've been talking about having him on, I've been talking about having him on, and he came to mind as someone that I might be able to um, get on the show because we were sort of talking about it over the last couple of weeks. So, and, and, and he's the third one and he's also, you know, he works in video games and digital art direction and stuff. So that's weird. And we also had like, I think three Australians in a row, which, and it, it's just that none of it's planned. It's a trip. It's, a, it's weird. It's weird when stuff like that happens. And I, to me, it's like, you know, it means you're going, you're doing the right thing. It's like a little wink from the universe in a way. Maybe. I don't know. Just weird. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. Okay, let's get on with the interview. I hope you enjoy it. What's up, Adam? How's it going, Chet? It's going pretty, pretty good. A lot of crazy stuff's going on right now, but uh, I appreciate you making the time for me here. Yeah, uh, thanks for having so, me, man. I appreciate it. So late at I night. Like to talk about art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I love your artwork. I mean, uh, you're. Oh, thanks, man. I feel the same way about your work. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's a mutual admiration society here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you're kind of new to the the art scene a little bit and the the copro scene and stuff. It's relatively new because I mean, I think I just met you through. Lee, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty new as far as showing my work in galleries. Um, I have a, a career in in art, but as far as like fine arts and paintings and such like that, it's it's all it's all fairly new to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just had within the past six to seven years started uh, getting more and more into doing uh, fine art paintings, and uh, only within the last two years or so have I been actually reaching out to galleries to try mm. and show my work. So, um, Lee, I met through, uh, a guy named, um, Matthew, uh, Setzer, who is the guitar player for skinny puppy. Oh yeah. I know Matthew. Uh, and he's, you know, he's Matthew. Great. Yeah. He's so, awesome. so I knew, I know Matthew, uh, through, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine and I met Lee hanging out with Matthew. I don't even remember where, but, but right. Lee is an amazing artist and yes, he is. Lee, um, you know, saw some of my work. He's like, Hey, I have lots of friends that show at galleries. And then he, at the time he was curating, um, a show at the, uh, midsummer scream oh, that's I think right. that was about two years ago or yeah, something yeah. He had his own section. And, 
and um and he's like i'd love to show some of your pieces and then he talked to uh gary and erica over at copro about putting uh i think my first piece was in one of your shows uh it was one of the conjoined shows that you were curating oh, right right he, he got erica to put one of my pieces in that and that opened the, up the door for me to constantly send gary and and uh erica uh shots of what i was working on so I've shown there. I've shown um, at Hive Gallery, but mm, I mean, cool. that's kind of it. That's really all I've really done over the past couple of years. But this was the first year I actually started to sell some work. So I've sold some work privately, and I sold some work through uh, through Copro. And so it's just kind of you know, it's 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 a different world creating art than it is like sort of marketing it. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and like. A lot less money getting involved. People, getting people who want to put down their hard-earned money to, to buy something that you spilled paint on a canvas. You right. Know? It's it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of weird and it's it's flattering and it's like it it, it, t- it takes a little bit of getting used to. You know? Yeah, it's a lot more personal, so, right? It really is. Yeah. So uh, I've been a, basically a commercial artist for you know over over twenty six years. You know, mm. making making art for video games, and that's a product you're selling, but it's not the same thing as you know, picking up a paintbrush and doing something and somebody just buying something to put on their wall. It's a very right. different experience. Yeah. Right, right. Totally. And, and it's also very different um, creating something based on a need that someone has for, for a, a game or, uh, you know, you've got, I don't know, they have a specific idea of, of the kind of game they're creating and the kind of characters they want. So they, give, sure. you, they give you guidelines and you work within these guidelines. And that's pretty kind of cool, actually, to have guidelines. You know, when I first started, yeah. when I first started painting, when I was like, oh, I'm, I, you know, I was so over the makeup effects thing. I first started painting. I remember the first time I sat down at a canvas like, OK, I'm a painter now. I was just <laughs> I was like blank. It freaked me out, man. I was just like. I don't know what to do because I don't have any parameters. You know, I'm so used to having someone saying at least. Right. Somebody gotta... saying I'm making something that should be kind of like this. Exactly. And like, okay, I'm going to make that thing. <laughs> you know, and it's going to be mine, and I'm going to I'm going to form it, twist it to be the way that I want it to be. But it's still sort of an idea that you started with that was handed to you. Yeah, just something, just some, some. So, yeah. so I was I was kind of like you know institutionalized in that way because I started working in makeup effects right at a like a year after high school up until. I think I was my mid thirties or 33 or something when I started painting. And so it was really like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't used to creating my own work, even though I knew I really wanted to. So, um, yeah, it's a totally different trip. When you were doing makeup effects, did you ever cross paths with uh, Glenn Hetrick? Uh, yeah, 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 definitely. Glenn's Glenn's a buddy of mine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Glenn's cool. He's a, he's a cool guy. He was, uh, on uh, face off, right? Yeah. He's yeah. yeah, He's like the, the, the the head judge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because my friend Jim Beinke was the consultant for that show. Interesting. He kind of worked behind the scenes, making sure you know everyone had plaster and foam latex and all that shit. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but Glenn's a really cool guy. I only met him, I think, after Face Off because of maybe because of uh, seeing him at Monster Palooza and stuff. Right. Uh, but yeah. he's a really nice guy. Um, yeah. So okay, you, you were. I mean, what do you do? What do you do at your day job? Like what? So is, yeah. What, so what currently, uh, currently, I'm an art director. Um, I've been in video game development for about 26 years now. So I wow. started. Yeah, I started when I was really young. I got into it back in 1993. 
And so when I first started in the industry, I came in as an artist. Uh, I didn't really go to art school. I went to a graphic design school that taught computerative, like desktop publishing, like Photoshop and shit like that. Mm. But at that school, I, I learned uh, some of the very early, early, early beginnings of 3D, uh, 3D modeling and animation software. What, what software um, was it? The first piece of software I ever used was called Swivel 3D Pro. Wow, I don't even remember <laughs> <This> that one. Predated, <laughs> this predated 3D Studio. Wow. Studio would have been the first sort of commercial 3D modeling package. Uh, right. But I eventually got into 3D, sir. But this was like, that came out probably closer to 94 or so. So this was like 93. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I made myself a little demo tape and that got me some interviews at some game companies who weren't quite yet using 3D, but everybody knew that's where the future was going. Right. Uh, but the studio was called uh, Iguana Entertainment and they were uh, doing um, Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo games. Oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, I got my, my start in the industry there and I, I haven't left. It's 26 years later. So to answer your question, um, I work for the name of our company is Fox next games. Mm. Uh, it was owned by Fox. Uh, Fox was, as I'm sure, you know, was recently purchased by Disney. So I currently officially work for Disney. Wow. Um, and, uh, but that's, that's going to change soon. My Disney is selling our studio. So we're kind of in the middle of going through an acquisition process and I'll be working for somebody else next, <laughs> next month in a couple months, but wow. that's where we're at now. So, um, and so as the art director, I run the art department. Um, I manage a team of about, I think I'm at like 13, 13 artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's my responsibility to make sure that, uh, everything on the art department is handled. Uh, so that means working with production on scheduling, working with uh, designers on making sure the artwork we're making is fitting the game, and then uh, actually giving visual feedback to the artists who are making the art. Um, the game I'm working on is called Avatar Pandora Rising. Uh, it's based off of James Cameron's Avatar film from 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those that don't know, it, that he's making four more films in that series. And they're just about done filming on, I think, the the next Avatar, uh, Avatar 2. We're wow. just calling it Avatar 2 for right that. now. Yeah, so um, so we're working directly with Lightstorm um, to, to, make, to make an Avatar video game. So when we first got that deal... We were uh, we were looking at a 2018 release, I think, and since then it's obviously been pushed way out. And I think Disney pushed it another year. So right now we're looking at a 2022 release of Avatar 2. Wow! So we're going to be way ahead of that. So right. that that gives us the opportunity to get our game out and kind of reinvigorate the brand. Um, and so my job is kind of working closely with Lightstorm to make sure that everything that we're making fits with their brand, right. fits with 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 the film. But, it, but we're also kind of handcuffed in that we can't release anything new because the film has to come out first. We don't right. want to lose in our game. So we're kind of stuck with only making stuff that you saw in the first film while trying to create new creative content that they will um, approve and let us, you know, we, so we can't take stuff from the new movies, but we can kind of make up our own stuff as long as it fits with their wow. brand. So a lot of my job is sort of negotiating with them, what can we get away with? Can we make, you know, this new creature that looks kind of like that thing that flies around, you know? <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of communication. Uh, so it's, it's a creative job. Yes. But it's also a very, you know, production heavy job as well. Yeah. I was, I was going to say it's you, you, you must be, you must have a kind of, uh, an unusual talent for an artist to be very good at, um, uh, communicating with people and managing people because that's 
a different part of your brain than the art part, you know? It is. It's and it's and it's something that I kind of sl- it's like sort of like slowly getting into a bath that's too hot. You, know? <laughs> you don't just jump in. Um, so I I probably first started to kind of get into management. Um, I'd say probably around 2000, more like 2003, 2004. So, uh, when I was, I was at EA for seven years and I was the animation director there. So, Mm. um, so I had a few artists to leave, but you know, leading a team of three guys is very different than leading a team of 15 people and Mm. leading a team of guys whose discipline you're well-versed at, uh, basically an expert at is very different than managing people whose, whose job you don't know how to do. Right. Right. So as the animation director, you know, I was a, I was a really experienced animator when I took on that. That role. makes all and the I difference. Exactly, me, yeah. That makes all the difference really. I think. Yeah. So like if you can sit down and show somebody how to improve and show them the ropes and sort of train them, that's one thing. But when you're leading a whole team of artists and they, they have skills that you, you couldn't even touch, right. but you still have to rein them in and, and give them guidelines. And, and it's, it's a definitely a different skill set. And, um, and, and like you said, it's the, the communication part too, the working with production. And, you know, I only in the last, it's been about the last four years of my career that I've been an art director and my entire life has changed. Really? It's, what you do for a living really, really shapes who you are as a person in and outside of your career. Yeah. Think about how much time you spend at work. Um, yeah, I went from right? being a guy that would go to work every day, put his headphones on and sit down and do animation all day long. Right. And that's a very creative, introverted uh, thing to do. That's how I was, man. And, and then I, yeah. <laughs> Sculptor, and then I went to, to being somebody who basically talks all day. Like 90% of my day is communicating with people, whether it's verbally or through email. I'm, I'm engaging a part of my brain that is about communicating a message from one way or from one right. set of people to another <laughs> set of people. And I became way more reclusive in my personal life when that switched. Huh. I, I didn't want to go out to dinners with friends and go to parties and shit like that because I was fucking tapped out. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to say that like when I first took on this role, uh, I felt like every day I'd go home, I felt like I'd just been squeezed dry. <laughs> like I, I had nothing left. And that's also kind of what I got, why I got back into painting. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I also went from a heavily creative role to one that was more of a managing other creative right. people, which is not the same thing. And I, I felt this hole uh, that I needed to fill with like creating. And it's also a control thing. It's like, I, I was so sick of having to craft something to, to fit somebody else's idea or to help somebody else's vision. Yep. But I wanted to go home and have no input from anybody. anybody uh, yeah, that, to make the thing that I wanted to make. That was know? my big thing as well. I mean, that was the main thing, you know, it's like, I want to do my own thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but you, 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 you must have been naturally a naturally gifted communicator or speaker. I mean, obviously you you can speak really well. So oh, thank you. <laughs> that's, that's that's pretty. I mean, that's like a yeah, I think, it's I a think talent it's to those, have both of those. I think. Yeah, I think it's just one of those one of those things where it's a, it's a personality trait. I've always been kind of an outgoing person, okay. you know. Um, and so when when you you know get you start your career and you're in there and you see how everything works, you kind of identify the path you want to take. And I always sort of really enjoyed uh, the collaborative process. Um, there's only been short times in my life where I've done uh, freelance work where I had to work from home and I hated it. Really? I didn't, I didn't like being disconnected from the people I was collaborating with, you know? And right. like, I, I really like being 
in an office with a group of people and problem solving and coming up with creative solutions together. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that naturally made me want to go into a leadership role where I was, you know, sort of um, helping to orchestrate the execution of, of, you know, huge projects at a time. And it took me a long time to get there. I, like I said, I've been, I've been doing this for 26 years and it's only the last really four years of my career that I've been, um, you know, taking on this big of a role. Right. But there's been times where I just straight up didn't want to do it. I'm like, I don't know. This is a lot. Oh, I know. But the longer you do something, the more used to it you get. I'm kind of feeling like I've hit my stride and I can, I can, you know, uh, not, not sort of, feel myself being sucked dry anymore i when i when i leave work i'm like okay well now i'm sort of used to that being right. my job and i i still have more energy than i was because for, for a while there i just wanted to come home every day and cry uh, yeah i can imagine I was just so emotionally <laughs> doing a good job in a job that i wasn't comfortable you know right right 20 years being good at my job and now all of a sudden there's a job that i'm learning it's like it's like a baby you know learning how to walk for the first time oh you yeah do a job you've not done before it's a totally yeah. different trip. And there's a lot of pressure on you to do, to yeah. do your job. So I'm sure. I was so emotionally invested that I would come home every day just exhausted. And it's just taking time to get used to that. And now it's like, oh, whatever. It'll all, it'll all work out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm sure at that level as well, there's a lot of pressure. You know, it's like big, there's big money. If it's an avatar oh, yeah. game, yeah. there's Mul- big money behind Multiple there. millions of dollars yeah. invested. And like the marketing that's going to hit when we start marketing the game is going to be, you know, just millions of dollars. And and yeah, and I'm, I'm responsible for a large portion of that. Right. And it's, yeah, it, takes, it takes a lot of strength. But like I said, the, the more you do that kind of thing, the less, you know, sort yeah. of, uh, the less you know, catastrophic, it feels, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you realize like, that, you know, all the people, you realize, one thing I realized is working in the film industry, it's like all the producers and the, you know, the production uh, production manager and the, the financial people, it's like they're all just people yeah, doing their job the also. People. And it's like, you know, they got their pressures and it's like, you know, you just got to relax a little bit, but. Yeah. And one of the things I always say that I, you know, I've, have friends who have been in all different aspects of, uh, you know, sort of the entertainment world, like, like from advertising to film and television. And one thing you hear a lot is like sort of how kind of high pressure a lot of these jobs are, especially in the production level and the high levels where there are right. millions and millions of dollars. And it's not just dollars. It's like people's jobs. Like right. If you do a bad job, people lose their jobs because no. you, your studio didn't make enough money. And yep. so there's this, always this constant, like, like, like heavy pressure and then you go to lunch with a friend who's like a nurse and like, oh, five people died on the table. Yeah, right. like, shit. We just we make stupid things. We make we make stupid commercials, we make stupid movies, we make stupid games. Right. None of this shit matters. There's people who live and die every right. day the job they do. And it's like it's like I wish people would like realize that every time they're about to freak out about some exactly. huge deadline coming down. It's like, guess what? We make stupid games. Like, don't freak out about it. <laughs> Find a solution and move on. No one's gonna die. Yeah, do you know uh, Liz Lopez, the artist Liz Lopez? I do. I'm a big fan, actually. I was I was so uh, happy when they they hung my painting next to her drawing at the uh, at your show. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. I was there uh, Saturday for the closing. It was it was I was admiring your both your your works, but um, she she was on the show and she has a uh, 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 she's she's a, an anesthesiologist. Okay. Yeah, and um, but before that, she was a hospice person a hospice mm-hmm. nurse i guess and so she was dealing with like dying people all the time and and uh it was yeah, it's heavy heavy man it's like that's the real shit 
You know, that's the real shit. The, yeah. the stuff that really matters. You know, it's like yeah, for sure. It's my dog. I have my dog is is going to get put down tomorrow. My dog's been. Oh, I'm sorry yeah, to hear that. Yeah, sucks, dude. man. It's he's been dying for like since we found out about three or four weeks ago. He won't eat. He's got cancer, and it's they can't treat it. So, yeah. just watching him go down, it, it like you know, it puts everything in perspective. You know, all the bullshit you're worrying about these little, sure, yeah. you know, it's every once in a while you got to get smacked down by reality i guess yeah, <laughs> yeah like, we just my 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 mom and her husband just had to put their dog down as well mm. it was like last week yeah it's yeah it's, it's heavy man it fucking sucks but you, know, <laughs> you never think about that when you go when you get the dog it's like <laughs> yeah, every it's, time every, i've had everything dogs. comes to an end oh, yeah know? yeah i know you think it's never gonna end and then yep it, it ends well, none of us are getting out of this life alive i know so, uh, <laughs> so enjoy it as best you can while you're here exactly and try not to freak out about stupid deadlines of work <laughs> right <laughs> about dumb movies and dumb games yeah. and silly things uh, um so what what's your your art history as far as your childhood and were, were you interested in art from a yeah i've always and... been yeah i've always been a creative um you know from i mean i think all kids kind of draw and paint when they're little you know yeah, but the older, older they get you kind of kids kind of do one of two things. They either keep doing that stuff or they get into sports and stuff. And mm -hmm. I tried playing sports when I was young, but I was never super into it. And Same then, um, and then when, you know, junior high and high school, that's when you sort of start, you know, deciding, Hey, I kind of want to do something uh, in this area. And for me, it was definitely art and music. And, uh, and so, yeah, like, um, Late, late high school, I probably started to identify that I wanted to do something in the arts when, mm -hmm. when I when I graduated, but I wasn't sure. When I graduated, I went to um, I went to junior college for one semester, and I was kind of thinking about getting into graphic design because, like, I get, I knew that was a way that was it was commercial enough that you can make money doing it, and but it was artistic enough that you could you know bring in a creative element to mm -hmm. it. And it seemed to be like the the practical way of being a professional artist, right. <laughs> designer, you know, go work in a magazine and do like, you know, uh, layouts in a magazine. And, you know, it's, it's technical, but it's also creative. Back to the thing, right. Know? Right. Um, and so at that time, uh, my dad actually found a school. I'm from, um, I'm from the Bay area, San Jose. Oh, okay. Originally. And my dad found this school that was teaching, uh, computer aided graphic design. Now at the time I was looking into university classes and, because of that weird time in the early 90s where everything was going towards computers, but everything that the government was running was going really slow and mm -hmm. behind. So, like, all, all companies were using computers, but the DMV wasn't, you know, that kind of right. shit. <laughs> so, like, even, like, the major universities, they weren't really teaching graphics. They were still teaching old school manual cutting out things right uh, right right cut and paste. cutting out amber lift and cutting out uh, stats uh, <laughs> typefaces uh with exacto knives at yep. the university level and it's like well everything they were teaching was going to be obsolete in a year right so i kind of saw that and i was like well i don't want to i don't want to you know have my parents spend for a university education that's going to be obsolete so right. i went to this trade school that basically taught you how to do like photoshop and quark express and layout and shit like that um, and like I said earlier, that's where I first got, uh, my hands on animation and 3d software, uh, packages. So as far as fine art, I mean, not a lot, I used to take like classes for drawing, uh, and, but not a lot of fine art education at all. Hmm. Um, everything, everything I ever sort of drew or painted, I just, I just did it myself. Right. Um, and I, th I think there's some things in, 
in the creative fields and in art that you can kind of force your way into by like really being dedicated and alert education. And then I think there's also some people are just naturally inclined to, 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 to sort of create in different ways. And I think that I'm kind of blessed in that I have a good eye to be able, I, I don't think I'm really strong as sort of coming up with my own things. Like I don't mm. sit down and paint amazing monsters like you do. Like you have this super creative mind that sort of makes this thing up that doesn't actually exist. And I'm sort of more, I just sort of copy what I see. Right. You know, so when I'm doing things that are, say more monster related like you, I always start with like photo reference and mm -hmm. I'm really like heavily putting things together in Photoshop before I start to paint them because I kind of don't have that type of the brain that it fills in the blanks, right. but I'm really good at seeing something and executing the look right. with whatever I'm using. So that's, so I lean into my strength. So I don't do Absolutely. a lot of, that's smart. I don't do a lot of draftsman drawing. I don't sit down and draw monsters all day. Um, I take a lot of photographs and I mm -hmm. compose those photographs in Photoshop. And then I do a painting based off of photo reference. So, cause that's what my strength is. And I could that's, say, well, Hey, I'd rather be more like Michelangelo and sit down and learn how to draw and do nothing but draw all day. And, but I've just kind of, I decided I don't want to do that with my time. Yeah, no, that's, know? that's smart. I think that's smart. Um, yeah, I think you just have to, you kind of have to identify what kind of artist do I want to be. Right. And, or where, where, and, what, am, and, what am I oriented towards? Where are my yeah, strengths? And, playing and your strengths, into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Playing, playing to your strengths is a smart way to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's sometimes where I'll, you know, I'll be looking at people's art and I'm like, it's clear that this person just sort of came up with this out of their brain and I fucking hate you for it because uh. I wish I could do that. <laughs> but, you know, some people look at my work and they're like, I can't believe you painted that looks so amazingly real. And I'm right, like, well, right. I, I don't particularly think so, but, you know, <laughs> no, no, I appreciate I, I, that people appreciate what I what I am able to do on a canvas or, or on a you know piece of paper. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I feel that way. It's, it's I feel the same way. Uh, making monsters for me was playing to my strengths. It's like that yeah. was my strength, but it's like I, I could have gone into like a more traditional art direct uh, direction and done like traditional portraiture and stuff. But it's like, it's a lot harder for me to do. Oh than, man. You it's know, it's tough. way easier for me to do like, come. it's like the thing is with monsters, it seems hard, but you're, you don't have to, copy a likeness to me creating a likeness is yeah. really difficult in a portrait it, it, it takes all <laughs> of my effort and it's like i don't want it to be that hard yeah, <laughs> and yeah I it's like it's like a stream going down the river it's like you take the path of least resistance right right, you take, right. You, take, you, take, you take the path that feels like it's going to go the smoothest right and then some people try to force their way right. into things by you know spending hours and hours and hours of painful education and like practicing <laughs> one thing over and over and over and over and it's like if it's if it's easy go for it right <laughs> you know, right like, right <laughs> and know. it's you know nowadays too i think with uh uh the internet and kind of the short attention span just it seems like everything is geared towards specialization you know, it's not like sure. the best artists are ones that can do all kinds of different things. It's more like artists are known for what they do. The thing do, they do. The thing they do. And that's what you should focus on, you know, I think. Yeah. And I, I it's something I kind of started to notice when I first started looking towards wanting to show work in galleries. I was starting to go to a lot of gallery um, opening receptions. And I just sort of started, started to notice that a, there were a lot of artists whose work I liked that seemed to pick sort of their, like one thing and they had 50 paintings that were all in the same thing. Right. I don't think I'm quite like that. I certainly have some repeated patterns, but I mean, there was like, there's a guy who paints 
polar bears that walk around the city and little girls handing them a flower. Right. Like, and you've got like <laughs> 60 paintings like that. And I, and I have no problem with that. I think that's fine. I think I would get bored trying yeah. to do the same sort of same thing painting over and over again. But I started to wonder, is that something that's being trained in artists by the art community themselves that once you're known for a thing, Oh, that's now like, that's the thing I can market myself with right. because everyone will see that and go, Oh, that's that guy that does that thing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, once you get a, a, a customer base for that, and if they're talking about you, it's like, oh, all of their friends now want one of your paintings and, and they want it to be similar to the thing that their friend bought. And I don't know if that's accurate. That's just sort of something I kind of I think it's kind of surmised together. I think <laughs> I think it's kind of true. I think it's kind of true. But I always, you know, tell uh, younger artists, just find, you know, find a thing that is going to keep you interested for the rest of your career and do that. You know what I mean? It's like, cause, cause I don't know. Is the, that, is that really a thing? Like, can you, do you think that anything that you're interested in when you're 20 is going to be the same thing you're interested in when you're 40? You know, I mean, it's I've been in the, along the path. Yeah. I, yeah I've I, it, things should develop. It should develop yeah. and grow. But the thing is I've been into monsters <laughs> since I was like <laughs> fucking five years old, man. And I'm yeah. 50, two now and it's like yeah. i'm still totally into it and, and it and it feels to me like i i don't have i don't feel like bored with it or anything right it's, it's, yeah. it's my no, that's amazing yeah it's my thing but i, I know what you're saying but i i do uh, there's there's room to grow though and go in different directions i mean i like yeah. doing paintings of my dogs and i like doing occasional portraits and stuff like that so i, I do mm -hmm. stuff like that for fun and and uh to yeah. to stretch so i have I have a question for you. So I'm, I'm curious about your journey in becoming sort of a gallery showing and selling artists. Um, mm -hmm. Are you like, I, I tend to like really like to do two different mediums. I'm doing oil paintings and I'm sort of more known for my oil paintings because that's what galleries are sort of right. bringing me in. But I do a lot of charcoal drawing work, mm -hmm. which I love. And I'm a huge fan of artists, other artists that do charcoal work. Yeah. But I don't see it in galleries a lot. So I'm wondering like, is there, is there another medium that you use that you've, messed around with or are you like strictly an oil painter uh you know i'm so satisfied with oils i, I really i i'm so into oils that that i don't really have uh that problem I, i'm totally stoked to be doing oils yeah, they're just like perfect I, for yeah, me yeah. but they're well you're getting you're getting to do with a lot of the sort of 3d sculpture stuff and you're making your own frames for your paintings. yeah yeah that's the huge that's huge admiration I, for that oh thanks that yeah that's the other thing i was going to say there the my other preferred medium i suppose is sculpture you know, because that's what I did in the film business more than anything right. for yeah. 25 years or whatever. I was just sculpting every day, 40 hours a week. So it's like sculpture's easy now for me. Gotcha. Just because, you know, you know how it is. When you yeah, do it every, it's, it's, it's muscle like, memory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, becomes, so, it becomes something you just do robotically. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do. I love it, though. I do love it. It's just um, <clears throat> and people like my sculpture stuff. So I could I could kind of that's that's a good example of how I could branch out and change things a little bit and do like, I want to do a whole sculpture show one day. Uh, yeah. you know? And I think that would do pretty well. It's just that it's, it's expensive. It's harder to sell. Sculpture is harder to sell. Is it expensive, expensive because of the materials? Yeah. Cause they, they requires okay. a mold and casting and, and uh, you know, it's like, I don't want to do a mold for every, I can do it, but it's a pain in the ass. So I, I Lee does all my molds now. Cause he's like the best, he's the wow. best mold maker, I know. Okay. So I, I, so that's an expense, even though he's, he's, he's always, you know, good, good to me as far as the prices and stuff. Sure, but yeah, it's still, 
Yeah, yeah. it's just money out of your pocket and time and and painting. I could just bust one out if I have to in a couple of days, maybe. So yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a sculpture. It's something I want to do when I'm a little more financially secure. Cool, you know? cool, yeah. Because I I just, yeah, I, I want to do a whole show of just busts of these monsters. You know, uh, I, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I have no experience with sculpture other than like doing 3D modeling software, which is a whole different animal. Yeah, but, that, but I did that um, for a long time too, though. I was doing that. Yeah, in, but I mean, at least it starts you thinking in 3D right, versus right. 3D. But uh, but as far as like getting out clay and sculpting, I've never done. Anything you like should that. try it, man. I've it's always fun. I have always wanted to, but I'm like I'm so like you said with 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 the oils, like I'm so in love with right with painting and with drawing with charcoal and such. And you don't, uh, I I was going to say, um, it's, it's really, it's good for your painting too, because you learn how things look under certain light and you're holding it, but you don't have any problem with that. You are, you've already, you know, it's not like you need that. I've been leaning into the photography. So, Mm -hmm. um, to, as far as when I got started on the oil painting side, now I've, Years ago, when I was uh, first starting in the video game industry, uh, my first art director was a really talented painter, and he went to one of the finest art schools you can go to in England, mm. um, and was a phenomenal. And this guy was like 22 years old, and he was painting masterpieces. Wow! Like he, he painted, he, his work reminded me a lot of uh, Norman Rockwell. So he really liked wow. sort of like is he a still, slice of life type painting. Unfortunately, he he's passed away. Yeah. Oh, that Unfortunately, sucks. he died a little while ago, but. Um, he uh, he was an amazing painter, and and he, and then so I started asking him for advice, and he showed me a few things. So I started doing a little bit of painting, but I really didn't keep up with it. And it wasn't until um, I think 2012 I started painting, and the reason I did is so between the early 2000s and 2012, I was in a band and uh, as a vocalist, and I was my every second of my free time was invested in that band. Mm-hmm. And like, and I would also do artwork for the band. So I did our album covers. I did all of our ads. I did all of our, you know, logo design. I started doing music videos, editing, shooting, mm. all that kind of shit. So all of my creative energy was like pushing my band. And then it broke up. And all of a sudden I had all this spare time <laughs> and all this creative energy and nowhere to put it. Right. And I actually, I actually started. So I have, I have two daughters. And um, at that time, my, well, see, my youngest is about to be 18 mm. and it's 20. So this was, seven years ago so she was like 12 mm-hmm. uh 11 12 so there was, there was like some rainy day and it was like my dad had just bought my daughter's like an art set for for her birthday and it's like i was like all right well we're bored let's let's break out these paints and just start painting and i started painting the skull and i just like that was it like i have not stopped <laughs> painting since that day that i painted that skull wow when kids had nothing better to do that's awesome painting and then um yeah, so then I just sort of like, and so what I started to do was I just started to paint pictures of my friends, mm. and so I would just doing all these headshots uh, of just like friends and and like people. I could see a I'd see a photo and go, I want to paint that. I paint it, and I started to realize, well, I'm learning a lot, but I'm also like, there's this isn't really my work because I'm painting other people's photos and I'm just kind of painting things that I'm seeing, and that's when I started getting heavily into photography, and so for the past. Several, like a couple years, I've really been leading into learning how photo lights work, and you know, shooting with the with a pro camera and, and understanding photography, and mm-hmm. it's well, that kind of thing kind of snowballs, and then you get to the point where now the paintings that I'm creating, I'm like creating from concept to executing by hiring a model and like mm-hmm. wardrobing them and shooting them. Yeah. And it's like, there's this whole process that starts all the way back from just coming up with an idea and then thinking, 
well, if I'm painting this thing and I eventually want to put it in a gallery, like what would somebody want to buy? And I started to realize that when I was painting all portraits of my friends, like nobody wants to buy a picture of my guitar player for my last band, you know, it's just a bust of him. So that's when I started to give away all my older paintings to my friends, to the people I had painted above and start, well, if I'm going to paint something that's marketable, it has to be, it can still be a person, but it has to be a person in a, in a narrative type right. situation, right? Something that inspires them, you know? So that's, that's a different way of thinking. You have to think, well, I'm not just trying to get a likeness right, but I'm also trying to tell a story. Totally, or I'm trying yeah. to evoke an emotion or something. And mm -hmm. so that's what I've really been sort of diving into, uh, in, you know, in, internally before I even start to think, well, what am I going to paint? Right. It's like, what, what kind of image? And a lot of the things that I do, I just, I, I just have a, an image will sometimes just pop into my head. Right. And I'll just like, I now I have to get this thing out. I have to find a way to hire a model and shoot it mm -hmm. and then execute it on a canvas because there's this thing that just was born in my brain somehow. Right. It's just a really, it's a really weird process, but, um, no, it's, it's cool, man. I, it's, it's, that's, that's how my dad, <laughs> my dad uh, was an artist. I grew up around yeah. that. My stepdad. Yeah. And that's how he, he painted. He was, he kind of had uh, an illustration type, okay. uh, uh, approach and he would always do models and then he would light them and take the photos. And then he would, you know, had this big ass machine that he would blow up the pictures and trace it like a light machine. It's like yeah. fucking six feet tall. And, yeah. um, he, uh, so I grew up around all of that photo reference and then he would trace it on the canvas. And then, and, uh, my buddy, uh, Gabe Leonard does that. He's a, he's a great painter. If you have if you've ever seen his stuff or not, he's, does he's, it sound familiar? Oh, uh, he's, he's amazing, but he does, um, the same thing you were talking about, um, hires models, does a wardrobe, you know, sets up a date and like takes photo. It's yeah. and it's and it's uh, and my friend Steve Clef as well. He's a great uh, watercolor artist. Um, does the same thing, and and I'm envious of you guys, you know, because it's <laughs> like, oh man, I wish I. It just seems so much fun to me because it's kind of like it it's is like fun, you're doing but it's also hell. Yeah, but you're like creating <laughs> like a, a play. Time and energy. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. you're creating a play, and there's in a way, true. you know, and a scene, yeah. and you're kind of collaborating with the model, and they give you ideas, and it just yep. and the having photo reference is definitely something I'm I'm jealous of because you know when you're painting from out out, out of your head like I do, it's yeah. like there's nowhere to refer to, you know what right. I mean? Yeah, I was curious if, if you like at least used some sort of photo reference to at least get like cash shadows right or lighting or do you? So, sometimes if I need yeah. it, it's like, I'm, I'm, it's more kind of out of laziness because I can kind of, <laughs> I can wing it. And, um, but, but I'll, I usually save the the reference for things that I'm not sure how they look like a, you know, if I have a hand that's right. foreshortened Foreshortened or <laughs> any hand right. holding a gun or something, I'll take a picture of that. Or sometimes I'll like the painting that was actually in that show that I did with the black magic character with the top hat and, and the gun. Yeah. That was like <clears throat> one of my kid's friends who came over and I was like, Oh, you got to pose for me real quick. So I had to put a hat on him and just All quickly right. took a picture. Cause it just helps. It, it makes it go faster for me if I have some yeah, kind of, of reference and, yeah. and I actually like that. So it's, it's a little bit of a, um, a relief to have some, some reference sometimes, sure. you know? Thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's, it's great. It's, it's smart too. So, so were you always into like weird art or dark stuff? Cause I mean, the stuff you're doing now is definitely yeah. that in the dark art 
yeah, realm I think, and I think, I think some of my stuff could be could be considered dark art, but um, yeah, I've always some of it. Been... <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff I've seen yeah. is, is all times like some of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I think I have a lot of, I have a lot of sort of paintings and drawings of just people, and yeah. they're not kind of horror aspect. Like I did the the painting, you know who, you know who Malice is, the girl with the mohawk with the tattoos yeah, and stuff. Yeah, painting her in a bowl of fruit. That's, that's like there's nothing horror about that. No, but that's the thing though. Dark art isn't necessarily just horror. I mean, horror <laughs> horror is one aspect of it, and you know, to me that to me it is though because she's kind of like you know punk looking and yeah yeah so so i guess guess so it's in that realm i mean i'm always i'm always um you know cheerleading for dark art should have this really wide range so it's not narrow and just like heavy metal in the horror box yeah covers and stuff like that so so. i've been schooled by chet (laughs) (laughs) so i guess i do do only dark (laughs) (laughs) no but i mean you you Uh, have an aesthetic that is oriented in, I, I've always been direction. I've always been fascinated when it comes to drawing and painting. I've always always been fascinated by people. Mm. I like I like people. I like faces, eyes. Yeah. Like it's it's that that's what I'm just absolutely compelled to draw and paint. So that's why I do almost exclusively figurative work. Mm-hmm. Um, the few times I've tried to do something where a canvas was more than fifty percent scenery, I've just been like, I hate this. I, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> hate this thing. You know, uh, it's Same pretty here. rare. I'll start a project and then stop it. But the few times I have, it's been because like the, the, the figure in the painting was less than 50% of the canvas. And I was like, no, I don't like this anymore. Cause right. I don't like it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, to answer your original question. Yeah. I've always been into the sort of the dark side, you know, I, from the age of like 14, 15, I started getting into heavy metal and the occult and, and, you know, reading about, uh, Alistair Crawley and, oh, cool. uh, and reading H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and uh, and Poe and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I just I just I've always been fascinated by dark imagery. Like my favorite thing in the world to draw or paint is always the skull. I have yeah. skulls tattooed all over my body. <laughs> so enamored by that sort of dark side, and I don't really know. And a lot of people that know me are kind of like my parents. First, first, first of all, are perplexed why I <laughs> sort of always be drawn towards dark things especially because people consider me to be a pretty positive person right right and i think that it's always been super super healthy for me to have that sort of avenue for releasing negative energy so for example i was i was mentioning earlier about being in a band i was a vocalist in a black metal band for over 10 years and Mm. like we'd paint our faces like corpses and i'd just get up on stage and just scream my fucking guts out and people associate that with People who don't understand that kind of music associate it with people who are disturbed. Right. I think it's kind of the opposite. It's like Absolutely. People who have a healthy way of getting out their aggression and having a creative way of doing it. Yep. You know, talk to any metalhead that goes into the pit. It's like, why do you want to hurt somebody? No, no one's in there getting hurt. They're no. Releasing aggression that right. other people do in really fucked up evil ways by hurting <laughs> people that they care about. You know? Right. Right. Be taken care of. And for me, that that sort of fascination with death or the dark side or dark arts or heavy metal music or Satan or whatever, all the things that are connected with that. It's just, it's just a fascination with things that most people are scared to even explore. Right. Right. It's healthy to get that sort of out into the open and make it not so taboo, not so something you're supposed to lock away, you know, right. 
openly discuss and openly, you know, connect with. And so that's why when I do paintings or drawings or something, there's always a bit of a dark edge to it. Yeah. Cause it's sort of like, let's get, let's get the boogeyman out of the closet. Right. right. <laughs> what you do. I mean, you literally do that. You're yeah. No, everything, every, everything you, you, you said is just like, you know, everything, I've been saying on this podcast for 140 something episodes. It's like, we all know. We yeah. All know. Yeah. Right. Any metal show, talk to any metalhead. Everyone's like, well, how come you guys listen to such negative music? It's right. Like, oh, trust me. It's not negative. <laughs> it's all very positive. Yeah. It's negative when you keep that shit inside. That's when it's negative and you don't express it. Yes, sir. Um, my favorite quote of uh, the dark art stuff is this uh, young quote. Um, Okay, I'm gonna not gonna remember it now. Uh, uh, enlightenment is not imagining figures of light; it is making the darkness conscious. Yeah, there you that's go. like to me that says it all. You know, yeah, that says it all. I can definitely connect with that. <laughs> so you're you're like a, yeah, you're like a you're like the the you're <clears throat> how do I put it? You're just kind of like a perfect example of of the kind of people I I hold up as like see. See, yeah, guy's this guy's super cool, super <laughs> nice, super friendly, very good energy. And he, but he's into yeah. this dark stuff, and it's like you don't understand. So I mean, yeah. that was some people just don't have that. I know some people who are like just absolutely all about love and light, and the yoga scene and the Burning Man scene, and right. it's like everything has to be about beauty and love and light. And that's great for, for those people. Like, right. <laughs> fucking ain't me, but you know, I have a lot of friends that are like that. And, mm -hmm. and, and some, sometimes people from that scene will kind of look at people like you and me and kind of go, why, why are you focusing on the negative part? And it's like, cause people are, are fucking different and not everybody <laughs> needs to express themselves the way that we do, but we do. Right. 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 You know, and we understand that. So. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's that, I mean, the whole reason that, uh, we started this podcast was to try and get that message about dark art out. That was the whole idea is like, we're trying to educate people that don't really understand it, that, it, that it's like, well, Hey, here's, thing. here's something interesting to talk about. So one of the last <clears throat> gallery shows I was in was, uh, uh, it was at lethal amounts. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's Danny's, uh, gallery. And my friend Diana curated a show there with a girl named Brooke, I can't remember her last name. Do you know? Do you know who I'm talking about? Brooke, no. Brooke, Brooke somebody shoot. Brooke and, and Diana curated the show. It was at Lethal Amounts. Um, mm. and you know, you know, Karen Hazmat. She's a good friend of mine. So yeah, she yeah. had a piece in that show. She's great. And then there's a guy. I'm I'm probably gonna blank on his name. Um, but I've not met him. But he's an artist that's friends with a lot of artist friends of mine that does some really disturbing stuff. And he had had a piece. Um, God, I'm going to blank on his name. Uh, he recently, do, do you know, uh, over at the hive gallery, they have an exhibit right now where some guy did a whole thing about like his drug addiction to heroin. No, you don't know about this no. thing. Okay. So it's, it, I'll, I'll have to look up this artist's name, but I've, I've talked to him a little bit on, on social media, but I haven't met him yet, but he had a piece at the lethal amounts gallery that I had some work at. And what it was, it was a, it was a, I think it was a real taxidermy cat mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's, it's belly was cut open and there was like a, a human severed head in the body cavity of his cat. <laughs> so I think the cat was real wow. and taxidermied. Uh, the human head obviously was not, but it was a, it was really, really dark piece. Right. And uh, the painting, I, I had done a painting of a girl who was heavily tattooed and it was hanging over this, this taxidermy cat. 
And I had more than one uh, people come up to me and ask where my work was and basically refused to walk over and look at it because it was in such close proximity to this other artist's piece, (laughs) (laughs) which was a severed head stuffed inside a dead cat. Um, And I was just kind of, and, 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 and some of the people that were, visibly like, like angry like there were like there was one girl that is a, actually a, a friend of mine uh who was visibly angry that mm. the artist had done this and i think it's because this person recently lost a cat mm. and was upset that a, a, that a deceased animal would be used in art i don't really know what the but it, it was just sort of strange as long as they somebody, didn't kill the cat what's yeah, the problem right. that's like, the way like i see there it was such but i mean i was like wow what an honor for this guy to have affected people so right deep that's true that people would physically refuse to go over and be near a thing that, right. that he had created and i was like wow man i'm that you 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 can't you can't hit the ball out of the park in the dark <laughs> aspect of that. Yeah, it was an interesting night because because yeah, there were several people who were just really upset that this piece had been put into the show. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, I I I, I did this drawing of this was in the eighties. When the, mm-hmm. when the 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 baby seal hunting thing was a big, oh, yeah. you know, it was coming into the public consciousness. Oh yeah, it was a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I've always been like a really big animal lover, so that was just just super disturbing to me. So I did this drawing. Uh, I still have it. It's actually pretty good. And it's like a, it's like a, a seal guy, like one of those guys that would kill the seals, yeah. and he's holding a human baby. <laughs> with a hole in its head like there's a it's all right. rendered realistically all this blood coming out and i put it in the student art show and it got it was like so controversial it was called it was so this is so high school it was called what's the difference <laughs> <laughs> and but it's um, like but people thought i was doing like a, an abortion thing and i was like no 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 it's not about yeah. abortion it's about <laughs> baby seals being killed yeah, yeah. and it was like i i had it was funny because i put it in this in this high school art show and i just thought it was cool i didn't think it was going to generate any controversy because i'm my i guess my you know uh aesthetic is is kind of fucked yeah. up but, but um, i remember when I was, I was so i was probably about that same age i think i was like 16 or 17 i i had done a drawing of a guy who was basically it had like a like a wooden st- Date, like a javelin stuck through his his abdomen and on the in the back it was coming out and his, like his intestines were hanging <laughs> off the back of it and i don't know why i threw it it was like an idea i, I had, used to draw stuff remember, like that all the time yeah, man <laughs> I, I remember my i remember my 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 for some reason i was dumb enough to show my parents this drawing i had done and my dad like yelled at me and my mom <laughs> cried about oh, it no way it like this whole thing so it didn't go to the it didn't get anywhere near the school <laughs> to be controversial but obviously it would have been but it upset my parents so much wow. and i just i'm thinking like like i'm a parent now and my my girls are, are grown they're they're both adults now and like I think if one of my kids brought me something like that, I'd probably just critique on how well the intestines right. were rendered. I would not <laughs> give a fuck. But you know, it was a time where people just didn't understand uh, yeah. fascination with darkness or horror or anything. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just, and that was right in the middle of the satanic panic, right? When Ozzy Osbourne right. was basically sending, t- sending messages telling kids to kill themselves. And like, right. you know, there are satanic tribes everywhere. And it's <laughs> the whole the whole witch hunt with Damien Eccles yep. and his and his group, you yep. know, the Western Memphis three. And 
that was that time. People really took that shit seriously. Yeah. And talk to any teenager that listened to heavy metal or that was fascinated with the occult was going to end up, you know, sacrificing babies in the local creek. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I was really, I was, I was lucky. Uh, my parents, uh, especially my mom was always totally cool with whatever I did. And I was always yeah. drawing shit like that. <laughs> Cause so, I wasn't that lucky. <laughs> But this but my was parents a, get me now. They really right, get me. right, like, right. They don't quite get it, but at least they say, "Okay, well, he's turned out okay." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's a living, successful guy. Children, everything res- seems to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they this, were not happy when I was a teenager. You know? This this was a, in the in the seventies, though. I remember I I remember doing like in like the second grade. It seemed like in the seventies it was a little more chill. It was before the whole satanic panic thing happened. I remember I remember seeing people being shot with machine guns, Vietnam war footage, because I was born in 67. So the Vietnam war was still going on until 75. So they were still, you know, when I was probably two, three years old, they were showing this stuff on the news. And I remember in the second grade or first grade drawing this two army man and one guy shooting this other guy, just blood coming out the back. And um, I still have this vivid memory of it, but, and I remember my teacher didn't, nobody freaked out. It was kind of cool. You know, was, hmm. I was surprised. I mean, looking back at it um, right. at the time, it yeah. just was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. War, yeah. <laughs> War is hell. Yeah, uh, sure. But, but I, I, yeah, I think things got definitely got crazy in the 80s, man. It was, you know, yeah. really fucked up time. But, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> great time for music, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, OK, well, um, how did you you. You started out. What were you doing when you started uh, your your career? You were doing three D modeling. Was that the first thing you were yeah, doing? The, the, that's not what I was doing at work. That's kind of what I I got into the industry by showing I had a propensity towards three D. But at the time, they, the the actual in game artwork for for video games wasn't that advanced. It was very simple, limited palettes, pic, pixel placing. You know, basically eight you know eight bit graphics right. for, for Sega Genesis Super Nintendo. Okay. So the first the first project I worked on was uh it basically uh, you know what you know what porting a video game means? Mm. So when you port a game that basically you make you take a game that was made for one system and you make it for uh, others. Right. Like when Super Nintendo was out a big thing would be people would take arcade games and port them for Super Nintendo because they had different specifications on how the graphics could be displayed so there it wasn't just you just pull the chip out of the arcade machine and shove it into a Nintendo cart and it works like there's actually work going into porting it so we did a lot of ports so uh, one of the another ones that, that you know Super Nintendo came out after Sega Genesis and uh, Sega Genesis um, graphics were nowhere near as capable as the Super Nintendo so right. one of the things we would do is we would take a, a game that was developed for Sega Genesis and then up up res the quality of the art. Ah. So as an artist, like you would ha- you would start with an artwork. Like imagine if somebody handed you a paint set with white, black, red, yellow, and blue, uh-huh. and then somebody handed you a sixty-four color art set. Right. right. Obviously, you're going to do a lot better with a lot more options, a lot more colors. That's what it was like going from Sega Genesis to Super Nintendo. Right. Is you had way more colors right. and more options, and there was all these limitations in Sega Genesis. So the first thing I did was we took a game called Side Pocket, and it was just a pool game. And the idea was that you just play these 
ridiculous pool, you know, shots to try and uh, gain as many points as you can. And then you play through these campaigns in between there'd be like a picture of a girl drinking a martini, like cheersing you like, Oh, now you're Minnesota slim or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so we would take these paint, these paintings that had been done in Sega Genesis and like upraise them for super Nintendo. So that was the first sort of part of my career, sort of learning how to make digital graphics. And then uh, I started doing more character and animation work. So this would have all been 2d sprite based okay. animation and such. So um, the first console game I worked on was Pirates of Darkwater. Do you remember that cartoon from the 80s? No. It was, it was like a sort of like a, it's like a, it was like Pirates in Space type thing. It was hmm. kind of like one of those filmations. Where so, so it would have been like the same style as like He-Man and stuff. Right, right. Pirates of Darkwater was a popular cartoon uh, in the 80s and, and we had a video game off that. And that's basically where, where my career took off from. And then obviously every year the tech got better and better and then right. eventually we're doing 3D modeling and First, it was 3D modeling and then rendering to 2D art. And then it was actual 3D models in games being rendered and generated in 3D. And so now we're in an age where, you know, some of the video game art is better than, you know, visual effects from movies that are only five years old. You know, it's yeah, just crazy it's how the technology is going to leap and bounds. And that's also kind of why it's good, best for me to get into a leadership role. So I, I can either be like constantly keeping up a new technology or I can just boss around people who do better <laughs> who do that. <laughs> Well, not only yeah, that, I don't have to actually do any effort. <laughs> <laughs> not only that, though, the video, you know, getting into video games at that time was like such oh, a great yeah. opportunity, man, because it's I, like, I mean, it, it was like it was like falling into a pot of gold. I mean, I really lucked out career wise that I was able to find a small group of people in an industry that was so small and so young. Right. And just, be, and just ride that wave all the way to the to the present day. I mean, I'm certainly not rich. I'm not driving Lamborghinis, but I've raised a family and I've supported myself making yeah. a game for my entire adult life. So in California, you know, I, I, <laughs> anytime I get super stressed out or, you know, you know, bored or anything work related, I just I, I take a step back and I have to I have to like practice that gratitude. It's like you right. know, there's a lot of people who have been really unhappy with their lives because of their career choices or because things didn't go the way that they wanted them to go. And I'm really fortunate in that aspect. I've, I've definitely worked hard and earned where to be where I am, but, but I also realize that there's a certain level of fortune and, and finding something that you can, you know, support yourself doing. That's also really cool and creative. And, yeah. and so I'm definitely thankful and, you know, I have a lot of gratitude towards the universe for that. Yeah. And it's still, you know, it's, it's still, it's huge. It's bigger than ever. That's the thing. It's like the, uh, uh, someone was telling me that video games overtook, I forget what year it was overtook, you know, how much money Film and inter in entertainment dollars. Right. 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 Which yeah, is yeah. crazy. So that would have been, that would, it's, I feel like it's been ten, about 10 years now. It's insane. Like, it's never gone back. It's yeah, never, I know. Like, it's never going to go back. back. Like, once, <laughs> like once video games overtook film for entertainment dollars spent, it is it is only doubled and tripled and quadrupled. Right. Since. It's not gone back. Yeah. So, so the, the, it, And especially now with mobile gaming, it's ridiculous. Every single human being on the planet has a game system in their pocket. Right. Like, like back, even back to like Super Nintendo, like, what do you think the market share was on one of those? Like, did every household have a Super Nintendo? No, no, no. But every human being has a phone in their pocket yeah. that can play a video game. Yeah, it's and crazy. Connected to their bank account and they can buy, right. you know, whatever they want. Yeah. It's just insane. It's just insane <laughs> as far as, as far as how much the industry has changed and how much the business has changed but still goes back to the roots of do you make a game that's fun to play? Right. Right. And does it look good? And that's, that's our job as, as artists and art. Right. Directors. 
does it look good? Does it, is it, are you, do you feel immersed? Do you feel like you're in a world that you're not used to every day? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I, I bring up the, the, um, the, the, uh, the great career you have because going into makeup effects, you know, when I got, I got into makeup effects in like 86, 87. And, um, it's like, it was at its kind of at its peak when I got in and it just slowly went downhill and then Jurassic Park came out and killed it oh, practically. It. And it was basically, I remember when Jurassic Park came out, everybody at the shops were just like going, Oh shit. Yeah. It's over and it's continued. It's, it's still, there, there is a, a, there is a career as a makeup effects artist, sculptor, but it's gotten so small and it's, mm-hmm. st- and it continues to kind of get smaller and the budgets get smaller and it, and the, yeah. the time. I feel like, I feel like lately though, uh, and I, and I'm not speaking more of makeup stuff as much as sort of physical fabrication. It it feels more like, people are starting to move away from, from using digital when you can build a real life thing. Like, yeah. even like, like, like when Lucas went back to make the first, first three episodes of star Wars, like 99.9% of what was on the screen was digital. And it looked like absolute dog shit. Right. And then Abrams came out and made episode what seven and used a bunch of real built, you know, millennium Falcons and mm-hmm. X wings. And it looked great. It looked so cool. Yeah, so I yeah. think that I'm hoping that, 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 that these directors and these these production houses are starting to realize use digital when you can, but right. it's it's not it's not the the, the, the cure all. Yeah, yeah. For like putting something on screen that's 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 amazing. There's still a lot to be said for practical effects. Yeah. And I feel like that they need to lean that the they need to lean more back into practical effects. Yeah. That's what I would like as a as a movie go. Right, like right. I think it looks better. Yeah, yeah. Everything I, looks real, like you can touch it. Like yeah, it. I think I think the the filmmakers that are real true fans of cinema or whatever are into practical effects. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the people that really appreciate it want to see the real thing, and it's like, you know, when you combine the two, that's when it's amazing. When you when you take the limitation of a practical effect and you uh, enhance it digitally. Like, you know, like Pan's Labyrinth is a great example of the fawn character with the legs, you know, uh, the, the, removing the green screen legs and stuff. It's like that's, you know, kind of the, the best of both worlds is when you can yeah. combine the two. But I, someone was telling me um, that worked in the in the business, <clears throat> they were saying that producers like they like digital because they can kind of like make their minds up about things in post. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like they, it's, yeah. and you know how, uh, or I'm sure it's like this in video games. It's like, uh, get getting, <clears throat> you have to get decisions made early on to build the stuff, you know? And so anytime yeah. they can not make a decision, <laughs> they're happy yeah. about anytime it. You, you know? can avoid making, before, <laughs> without putting stakes in the ground. Right. <laughs> how can we make a thing without committing to anything? Right. Yeah. So well, doesn't that also just sound like a recipe for disaster? Yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> mean, then you end up, you end up like being lazy on the planning stage mm-hmm. and then you're like, Oh shit, we didn't think of this and we didn't think of that. And we didn't, you know, it's like, then you end up with a bunch of footage that you shot expecting to be able to do it, fix and post. Right. And you end up with something that looks ridiculous or, or, or it goes over budget. Yeah. And it's also why the VFX industry has been so hard on artists. It's been, there's been so much competition that it, it came down to like, who could, who can squeeze the profit margins so razor thin that they would be the lowest bidder in any job. Right. And it's, 
it's destroyed the industry. I mean, I'm sure you've read about how like all of a sudden everything moved to Vancouver because Canada was offering, you know, uh, yep. incentives towards the studios to do their effects there. And then that now all of a sudden all the VFX artists in, in LA, now they can't afford to feed their kids. They all got to move around the world. Yep. And there's like all these things that were done to keep the, the costs down to the absolute lowest. Well, who suffers when you do that? The people who make the thing that you're putting on screen right. are the ones who are going to suffer. Yeah. And I've, I've had a ton of friends that have, um, you know, had entire careers in VFX and have just had really, really hard time from it. And I used to be like, when I was focusing mostly on animation in my career, I thought I always felt like, like, being in film, that was when you made it, and that's where all the glamour was in being an animator or an artist. So, like, I don't want to work for Pixar, and I always really try to work for ILM and look at like to work on a Star Wars movie would have been my dream come true. And like now that I'm on the other end of my career, and I I was never able to sort of break out of games because there was always this sort of wall where if you didn't know somebody in VFX, you couldn't get a job over there, or, right? Or the timing wasn't right or whatever, but something that I had always gone after. I'm kind of now glad I never got to because I've seen guys who are in that scene there. I'm just like, they're kind of used up and washed out and like not happy with the way their career right, right. has gone because the industry is so feast and famine, you know, and games has been really steady. I, I, I like, know. I mean, I've been laid off a number of times. Sure. There's no such thing as job security, but compared to VFX, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride. Right. You know, yeah. long stretches of gainful employment and great benefits, you yeah. know, for <laughs> medical benefits for my kids. I mean, how can you put a price on that? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I feel the same way about um, being in a band myself. Like I was in a band the first 10 years I was in effects and I was like – uh, makeup effects was the day job and I was trying to make this band happen for like 10 yeah. years and changing, you know, how it is changing the band, ch losing members, blah, blah, blah. And then it finally broke up for the last time. And I'm like, okay, 10 years is long enough. I'm done. I'm done. It didn't work. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't do it. And, right. and then, and that was probably in the late nineties. And then the whole music industry just took a huge shit with uh you know downloading and 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 i'm yeah i'm i'm and i and i also know people in bands now and i'm not suited to the um lifestyle of travel and going on tours yeah. and it's stuff rough, just, dude. it's hard yeah. work and i'm like we just talked about this on a podcast i think with uh meets meyer on the on the last podcast uh or the one before how how hard it is being on the road in a band and it's like, I'm so glad I'm so thankful to the universe <laughs> that I didn't make it. You didn't get what you wanted. Right? Yeah. That I didn't get what I wanted because now yeah. I got what I want. I didn't realize I wanted at the time, you know, yeah. cause I was off on this tangent of music. Yeah. But, it's that, it's that old adage, you know, be careful what you wish for. Right. right. You yeah. might get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you never know what something's really like until you get it. Yeah. Well, when I was, when I was animation director at EA, is when my band was sort of at, at its peak of activity. What was and the name I of the band? Turned down my first art director position because I knew it would make it harder for me to be able to get out. Wow. I was loving my I was I was loving my job as as animation director. It was it was it was a director position and it was a lot of responsibility, but it wasn't so much that I couldn't just bail for a couple of weeks or a right. month. And it's a different story when you're you know running an entire art department. So. Yeah. Uh, I did a full U.S. North Amer and North American tour with my band in 2009, early 2009. And that was you know, in doing all the driving ourselves, hauling all of yep. the gear, 
no tour manager, just us. We brought one extra person with us that ran our sound and we did everything ourselves. We drove around the country in an RV, slept in the RV. We weren't staying in hotels, you know, and, uh, and fuck, that's a young man's game. Oh, dude. yeah. Totally. I mean, I was 30. <laughs> well, that was 09. So I was 37 when I did that. Mm. And I, at the end of it, I was like, I don't know if this is anywhere near what I want. <laughs> you know? But, you know, if you're Metallica, you got each member has their own luxury tour. Right. Lighter. They're not hauling their own gear. Right. So maybe right. I, could do it if I was like in a band like that. But. Yeah, that'd be a different story. around the country and playing shithole bars for 40 people <laughs> on a Tuesday night. Not a lot of glamour in it. It can be fun, but it's not a lot of glamour. Yeah. I'm glad I did. You know, I'm glad I did that. Mm-hmm. I got out of my system. You know, I, I had my face on a t-shirt for one tour. <laughs> it's silly, but it's like, it's kind of cool to just like have a goal, go after it, say, okay, I did that for a Oh, it's it's so much fun playing, you know, playing in front of an audience and recording. I I loved it. I loved it. I just, just the, the, um, touring aspect of it. I never really, we never really did any tours. Um, it's tough, man. It's my kid, my kid's a drummer in a band and like a working band and they do little mini tours and it's, yeah, it's, but it's like, it's rough. It's rough. Oh yeah. (laughs) What was the name of your band? Uh, that one was called Sothis, S O T H I S. Cool. Is there we like a symphonic black metal? Um, it was like similar to like Dimmu Borgir type sound. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on Candlelight Records for one album, so we got signed. We had representation. Oh, that's cool. So you know, we were we were starting to kind of build build an underground following. You know, like uh, we did one sort of larger budget uh, with a uh, music video. That's got, I think I got up to something like 40,000 hits on, on YouTube, which isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things, but it's also not that easy to get either. I have a a newer band and I've, I've been making fewer music videos and I think we've got like 3000 hits on one of them. So it's like, it's nowhere near where we were. That was also big in the MySpace days and we had like 300,000 fans on MySpace, you know, that's pretty good actually. Yeah. (laughs) What's the, you're you're in a band now? Um, yeah, well, kind of. It's like we have a band, but we're not super active. I'm waiting for my guitar player. It's basically my guitar player from the last band, Sothis, and I started the band with uh, another guitar player by the ne- name of uh, Neil Teeman. Mm-hmm. And Neil uh, got hired into the band Devil Driver. Mm-hmm. Do you know Do you know them? No. So Devil Driver is kind of big. It was started by a guy named Des Farfara, who was the uh, singer for Cold Chamber, who was mm. big in the 90s. So. Right. So Devil Driver's Dez's newer band, and then so our guitar player left to join Devil Driver. So that just left me and my buddy Colin, who's a guitar player. So we had a couple other guys that we played some live shows with. The last show we played was with um, Septic Flesh and Dark Funeral. So again, more black metal stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, but it's it's there's nowhere near as much like passion and push behind it as there was my last band. So everything kind of moves a lot slower right. when there's not as much push behind it, when it's, it's very clearly just like a hobby that there's not a lot of energy put behind. So there's two guys that write and record music. And then there's, you know, three other guys who we can call when we're ready to do live shows, but mm. we just have them super active. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's how that band's called. That band's called Witch Casket. Witch Casket, I like. That. Yeah, <laughs> uh, less black metal, more like melodic death metal. Cool. But, um, that's a great yeah. ti- That's a great name. <laughs> yeah, I do. yeah, I like that. So yeah, and that and that's kind of got me more into doing like you know music video. I really like uh, you know con- 
coming up with the concept for and then executing on on music videos. It's super stressful, but it's also yeah really fun. And it really and it, when you have no budget, you have to get really creative about yeah. what you're going to shoot, how you're going to shoot it, how are you going to edit it. And uh, one of the most stressful days of my life was orchestrating a shoot uh, in the woods where we didn't have permission to be there with eight people, eight adults and a baby. Wow. <laughs> in the woods, <laughs> shooting all day long to get all the shots we needed to make this music video. Wow. So I'll send, you the, I'll send you the link to the video so you can. Yeah. See yeah. It. I want to see it. It was a, it was a song I had written based off of the book, Dr. Sleep, which is the movie they just put out right. based off of Stephen King's uh, sequel to the shining. So, mm -hmm. oh, cool. so that music video is kind of like my interpretation of what that book was like. So you can watch the movie and compare to see if I got it. Even anywhere close. <laughs> That's cool. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was four models, four band members and a baby out in the woods and <laughs> obviously people running camera and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you do in your spare time when you, when you, when you want to make shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's... No, I'm not doing that. I'm doing paintings instead. So. Right. Yeah. Now, now that, uh, painting is my full-time job, uh, music is kind of the hobby I want to take up again as a hobby though. You know, just, what do you, what, in what capacity are you writing? Are you writing music and playing guitar? Yeah, I was always, band, yeah? yeah, I was always, my favorite thing is writing music. And so, um, I, I was a guitar player. Just, I, I learned to play guitar when I was like 17, just because I wanted to write music. I was never like a big guitar fan, really. I mean, I love guitar bands, but I just never sure. wanted to play a guitar necessarily. I always liked drums. I always kind of wanted to play yeah, drums. I used really. to be a drummer. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, like in I love like drums. high school and right after high school, I was a drummer. And then when I started my career and uh, and started having kids, I sold my drum set. So when I came back into music, I was like, uh, I can't play blast beats like all those like death metal. Drums. Right. So I <laughs> Sorry, I don't have to use for your story. You can <laughs> go back to you. Yeah, no, I, I, I uh, uh, yeah, so I, I learned to play guitar and learned to write music and I got really into that. And after the band broke up, I just didn't touch an instrument for 10 years, probably, or yeah. longer even. I was so bummed about it. And um, that's actually when I got into After the band quit, I'm like, I'm going to try something new. And I got into computer animation and, and 3D modeling. And I did a bunch of stuff for uh, Tool, t the projections, you know, at the oh, live, wow, really? the live nice. show. Yeah, because um, I knew my friend Adam was in the band. And um, I was just doing these weird looping videos that kind of look like my paintings sort of dark okay. weird shit just looping yeah it. i'd love yeah. to check that out sometime if you have anything do you have anything online yeah there's i i made a dvd and like published a dvd of all the or a lot of the animation i i did um i think there's like a promo of it on there i cool. I'll, I'll i'll send you something yeah. um but lately i started just for fun like maybe three or four years ago i i started i always loved bass playing bass bass and drums i've always liked ba bass, yeah. Play, bass play guy. yeah bass players <laughs> and drummers were the guys i was like wow that's great the guitar players are like it was not really into lead guitar or anything like that and right. so i got a bass and i started playing bass and it's like i'm totally into bass now so nice. i just like you know write music on the bass and and um i i got uh <clears throat> logic in my computer so it's like whenever yep. i get time I'll, I'll just record some of these songs i've had rolling around in my head for years and it's like no pressure anymore it's it's a hobby it's just for fun i could put them on my time lapse videos of my painting videos for my patreon yeah. and 
you know, it's like perfect. Cool. It's, it's cool. Yeah. And just, it's nice to not have something where you're like trying to make it be successful. You're just doing yeah. it for total fun, you know? Well, Hey, since you mentioned the time-lapse video, so I know that you're, you're, you're involved in the, the Patrick, the Patreon stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Where yeah. you're like, I, I, something I haven't started look really looking into. I've had, I've heard a lot of people suggest that I get into that. But then you go down the road as now you're constantly under pressure to create content. Like, right. How do you do that as a painter and such? So do you mind telling me a little bit about your experience with that? Oh, yeah. With, no, with your Patreon and, and how that's helped your your art business, so to speak. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's 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 been great. The, the trick to Patreon is you have to have a following first to yeah. bring them over. They're not they say. Um, they're not a discovery platform. They're not like YouTube to where people can find right. you. It's it's like you have to have people already, and 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 then and then the game is getting everybody to pay for what they've been seeing for free for like the last ten right. years. So yeah. it, so it's 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 not much different than my Instagram because I was constantly posting on Instagram. I used to just post uh, progress shots every day of what I was working on, yeah. and um, it's and 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 then so basically I'm I'm posting. Whatever I'm working on that day, people are, you know, kind of along uh, with the the journey with me. Along, along to the ride, yeah. You know, and they're getting to see it happen. And they're people that are willing to pay at least a dollar, which is like it's 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 so such a small amount, but they're still yeah. willing to pay yeah. something. Whereas people on Instagram, you know, it's free. So there's the, the, the value. Yeah. yeah, right. So <clears throat> so basically what I did is I I uh, post all my progress shots. So I'm pretty much, unless I'm having a tough time, like with the dog right now, or if I'm sick, I pretty much post every day and it's a, it's a progress shot. Sometimes I'll do, um, you know, a few times a month, I'll do a time-lapse. I have a camera set up in my studio, so it's easy just to mm -hmm. do the time-lapses while I paint. Yeah. Um, so I do that. And then the only thing that's kind of difficult is the, I do a monthly tutorial where I edit together a tutorial of, you know, sculpting or painting so far. I think it's only been painting tutorials, but, um, that was take a little bit of time. So that's kind of pressure, but like last month I missed it and I had to apologize to everybody. Cause I just, I couldn't get it done in time with right. my, my dog getting sick and all this stuff. But, um, <clears throat> I turned, on so it's like I was like okay what am I going to do on Instagram now because I'm still in the process of funneling yeah. people over because I've only got like 300 which is on Patreon it's a lot I got like a 300 lot. people uh -huh. so I'm paying you know it's covering my mortgage and bills and stuff which is oh, wow. is excellent but you know I've got a hundred I'm approaching 120 thousand on Instagram so it's like wow. if I can just get point one percent. Yeah, <laughs> you know, over. like a thousand people on Patreon yeah. would be huge. Be amazing, yeah. So on what I, what I do now on Instagram though is I just post finished old paintings. Like I have so many paintings now, I just post mm -hmm. paintings, and people like that on Instagram way more than the progress shots. It turns out, like That's people used funny, to complain man, about I... the progress shots because. You know, I've had people go like, why are you showing me this is the, the same painting again? Because they can't see the difference because they're just flipping by and their their phone. They can't That's tell. That's really I, weird. You know, because I, I started doing progress shots on my Instagram and I've got nothing but an amazing response. Oh, people good. love seeing the process. But by the same token, I have just over 3000 followers right. right now. So it's a very small. And a lot of those people are people who know me. Right. <laughs> That's what they care about the work I'm doing. Right. Um, I'd love to find out how to grow your IG base because I've had not much luck at it. Yeah. So you got to listen, done, but I'll, I'll send, that? I'll send you an article and, and I'll send you a link to 
a podcast I did where I interviewed this guy, Josh G. I think it's episode 110. He's like this um, uh, uh, Silicon Valley insider guy. Like he works in Silicon Valley. He got his, he has a uh, an Instagram page called the Creep Machine. He mm-hmm. used to have a blog called Creep Machine. It started out as a blog and then he moved to Instagram. And he got 300, in three years with no, all organically, he got like over 300,000 followers on there. And so he knows how to do it. It's like all this hash, how you do the hashtags, how, what time of the day you post, how often you post, all this stuff. So he goes through the whole thing in this podcast. You got to hear it. Yeah, I'll give it a uh, listen. Yeah, I was stuck for two years um, where I could not get my, once they changed the algorithm, I got stuck and I started using his techniques and it just started going back up again. So that's great. It absolutely yeah. works for sure. So you just got to do all this tedious shit that you don't want to do. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I'm worried about. Yeah. There's my, there's my third job right. <laughs> learning how to Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, it's part, if you want to get the Patreon, you got to build the, the Instagram following up, you know, or yep. the Facebook following or YouTube or whatever. Yeah. I kind of wish that, I would have spent more time on YouTube before moving to Patreon because now I'm charging people uh, $3 a month to watch my time-lapse videos, you know, but if I was posting them on YouTube, I probably could have had a pretty big YouTube following on there. And then I could have gotten them to Patreon because a lot of people on YouTube um, go uh, have Patreons. Okay. The guy who started Patreon was a uh, in a band. He was a YouTube guy, and he got pissed off because YouTube changed their business model and their algorithm. So he couldn't; they couldn't make any money anymore from uh, ads or whatever. However, they were making money before. Right. So he's like, he just went. He created Patreon for people like him. So it's pretty great. It's great. Yeah. I like how it filters out the casual fan. And it, it's right. like just yeah. the people that really people who really matter. Yeah. 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 The people that matter. Exactly. So it's definitely something to look into. You'll dig cool. it. We'll do. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit more about your artwork. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about a lot of stuff. That's not <laughs> artwork related. No, no, it's cool. It's all good. That's what this podcast is all about, man. It's just conversation. Right. Uh, right. It's, it's all, as long as it's interesting, that's all I care about. Um, <laughs> Do you, uh, do you work on, this is a question that a lot of people, uh, ask me and okay. I'll ask you, do you work on like one piece or multiple pieces at, at, at a yeah, time? I, I tend to be a single piece kind of guy. And what I've, I've been kind of hitting this pattern lately where I, I, I love oil painting and I love doing charcoal drawing so much that I just alternate. Like as soon as I finish an oil painting, I have like my next charcoal project already figured out. And since I do a lot of figurative work, um, what I'll usually do is when I, when I do hire a model to shoot for a particular project, I'll have more than one concept in mind right. when I'm shooting a model. And I'll even be thinking, okay, this I want to do in charcoal. So I'm going to pay special attention to the contrast of the lighting while this is going to be an oil painting. So it's okay if it's got a bit more light, there's not as much contrast or something. Mm-hmm. So I'll think about that when I'm setting up my lighting. And um, But as far as having two, 
I think just recently I had two pieces going at the same time, but one was charcoal and one was an oil painting. I don't think I've ever had two oil paintings going at the same time or two charcoals. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I'm a very linear thinking person. Like I start something and I either throw it away because I don't want to finish it or I finish it before Interesting. I do my next thing. Interesting. I don't go, oh, maybe I'll get back to this someday. I, right. know, I know a lot of artists are like that. I know artists who have like 20 unfinished paintings and that to me just sounds like an OCD nightmare. Right. <laughs> I would just go, I would, I would have an anxiety attack thinking that I had 20 unfinished pieces of artwork. That's me, man. I, that's, that's me. Really? You should see my studio. It's just all unfinished paintings, but not me, man. <laughs> I don't, to me, it's like, I, I like it because uh, like when I paint for a show, I paint, I start all the pieces at once. Like if I have 10 or 15 pieces, I, st I, I get them all, the concepts down. I block them all in with the underpainting first. And then I kind of like wow. do, yeah. And, and then I do like, you know, the, if I'm doing a grisaille, like a black and white underpainting, I'll do that on one. Then I'll go mm -hmm. to the next one. And I kind of work on them all at the same time, rotating them out. Because for one thing, they kind of, it, it keeps um, the consistency the same they all have that yes it's for a show so they all kind of have a similar look and i'm using the yeah, same yeah, same yeah. colors but if i get hung up on one and it's bugging me and i can't fix it and i still want to paint and get the satisfaction of doing something good i'll put it aside and then i can go on to another one and kind of get yeah, that i hear the words you're saying <laughs> <laughs> i just don't connect with them in any way i'm like if i have a problem to solve i'm gonna fucking solve it. right <laughs> I could see with your work but, though. Your you know, work is because this this isn't my job. This is your job, man. Right. So it's like you. I would probably be way different if I did this every day. Like they, there are times where there's a canvas sitting on my on my uh, my easel that it'll just sit there for three weeks. I won't even touch it because right. I've got too much stuff going on, and I, I'm you know I've got something to do with my kids, or I'm just like maybe I'm just not feeling it. It's not. I'm not waiting on that painting to be finished to get my next meal. Right, you know, right. it's, like, <laughs> it's it's different when it's a hobby than, it's when, true, it's, than yeah. when it's your job. So uh, I might be different if I was painting more than you know five paintings a year. That's basically all I really do. Right. So that's right. why I'm probably not the most valuable person to a gallery who wants to represent artists that constantly have new works coming in. I just I'm not that guy. But um, I have um played with the idea in my head of like trying to find like a halfway retirement thing where I could leave the game industry before I can financially afford to, mm -hmm. if I can build up uh, enough of a reputation or, a, or, a, um, uh, you know, enough relationships with galleries to where I could maybe, you know, do painting for a living, but you know, not as much, you know, not making as much money as I did in right. the tech job, but you know, enough to where I can kind of retire early, but still work by doing paintings. And I sure love to do that because I don't ever see myself stopping painting. So for, to be able to take that in and help me retire young, younger, I would, I would probably really, you know, think about how I can make that happen. Right. Right. Well, I think that, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, a good approach, um, you know, building up your work through galleries, but, um, which is a, to me, it's a piece of the puzzle and sure. maybe a bigger piece would be, um, doing, you know, really pushing print editions mm -hmm. and stuff. Cause I make, you know, a, a good chunk. I make more money from my merch than I do from gallery yeah. shows. Like I don't make I, that much at a gallery show. Even if you sell the whole, sh I mean, I never sell the whole show out okay, so yeah. once in a while. I think one show I sold everything. Oh, but, nice. Yeah. But, but you, amazing. Yeah. It's. 
it's great, but uh, you know, usually it's like half the show sells, which is good, and then the rest of it will sell over the next year or two. It takes a while yeah. to sell them, but sure. um, it's just it's not. I couldn't afford it. No way could I afford to live like that. So all my energy is going towards um, the Patreon and um, the the uh, online merchandise and prints and stuff like that because sure. yeah and again that that comes from being able to build a following right it, I mean, it's I get, all I get, about the following man it's yeah. all about having people to market to you know yeah i mean i get people all the time saying they want to i would love to buy one of your paintings and then i tell them how much it is <laughs> like well, i can't afford that yeah. i can't afford you know yeah, right. a lot of money for for a you know original piece of artwork but they certainly do buy prints you know right um i don't push or advertise prints but whenever anybody approaches me about artwork i say yeah of course you can get a print so i don't stock prints so i don't print 50 copies of something and call it a limited edition and hand number them and then sell them because that's a lot of oh yeah i don't either yeah no i i I Um, print on demand i have my drops it okay yeah yeah. so if somebody says i want to buy a you know a a print then i just order it from the printer and have them ship it and have it right right directly to the customer is that what you're doing as well well for for bigger i have got a printer you can't probably can't see it in the mess back there but i actually have a printer that prints up to 17 by 22 it's like a professional oh nice yeah yeah it's great man so, so you i do your own so then you you ship them out yeah, I've got a like. I'm. I've got my living room is basically in front of our in front of our fire uh, fireplace, which we haven't used in years, as a table, a work table. It's all shipping supplies, and you know, in the dining room where the dining room table used to be, it's all casting and pouring up resin and stuff. <laughs> nice. So, so I'm making do with what I got. I can't afford yeah. to get a place, but a, a, a studio. So my house is my studio, but yeah. Uh, where do yeah. you live? Anyway, in Monrovia. Monrovia. Where's it's, that? It's where's that? Pasadena. Arca- okay, yeah, Arcadia. Yeah. It's like ten or fifteen minutes east of uh, Pasadena. I got you. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. yeah. It's cool. It's a cool setup, but it'd be nice to have a studio. Yeah. Uh, do, do you have? Uh, uh, are you painting in your house? Nope, or do I, you paint, have- I paint. In, I have a small house in Culver City, mm-hmm. and uh, my my painting easel is in what would be considered the dining room <laughs> uh, there you go <laughs> yeah i mean your your listeners can't hear the podcast but i'll just show you that's my kitchen and there's my easel ah, that's cool man. right now and so i have to move that shit around when I'm <laughs> <laughs> that's a let me see that paint can i see that over what's that can i see that painting again that was oh, yeah. it's really cool thanks it's mostly done Let's see. I can't. Yeah, it's fucking great, man. Can I get? A, can I do a screen grab or is it secret? Yeah, do a screen grab, but I'll also send you a better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. that's awesome, man. Thanks. Um, it's a big one. This is the biggest piece I've ever done. It's uh, seventy-two by forty-eight. Wow. So it's really big, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a departure for for those that haven't seen it since we're doing a podcast. It's it's basically this huge, large dark canvas with a beam of light coming out at a figure who's reaching out towards the light yeah so, it's great it's it's a uh, you can post a picture of that but i'd say it's mostly done i'm just gonna put up a couple of touch-ups on it and then call it done that's cool are you are you, uh, yeah. are you is it just another piece to try and get in shows or i mean i don't paint to get in shows i paint you just paint what i want to paint yeah. and then i go try to put it in shows. you should put it in uh 
conjoined 10. Yeah. If, if um, I was with Karen last night, uh, Hazmat, she's a brilliant artist for those that don't know her. Yes, she is. Um, we went to the King Diamond show last oh, yeah. night <laughs> and uh, and we were talking about, she told me there was a show in I guess, February. Is that a conjoined show? Yeah. That's conjoined. Cool. It's a 10 year yeah. anniversary show. This will be done by then, but it's a big piece though. Cause I know a lot of the Copro likes to put a lot of pieces in their mm. shows. So this is well, going to take up a lot of space. So send, they'll, they'll, they'll want to know that it's, it's yeah. This send me, a, send me a picture and, and I'll send it of to course. Gary. And uh, well, yeah, I was going to send it to him anyway. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm with Gary and Eric. All okay. Time. Yeah. Send, send I it always to... send them pictures of my work when they're finished. This one isn't quite finished yet. That's okay. Why okay. But yeah, for sure. We can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. I love, I mean, I love, I love Copro. I love going to their shows. Their events are always great. So I don't have any reason to not, give them first crack at every time right. I finish it. Yeah, they're it's kind of like, perfect for you, I think. I yeah, think I think kind so of the too. Perfect yeah, they for you. Yeah, they've they've been they've been good partners. I definitely like them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Have you uh do you, have you worked with um uh Dark Art Emporium? Do you know um, them? Um Jeremy Cross? Yeah. Uh yeah, Jeremy Cross and Jeremy uh what's the other Jeremy? I don't I don't know the other one. I know uh, Jeremy Cross. Jeremy Shot. Um, Jeremy Shot. He's Yeah, the other. I don't He's, think I know him. I might have met him, but I don't I'm not 100% sure who he is. Yeah. But Jeremy Cross, I know a lot a lot better and he told me he wanted to do a show in August of 2020 with me and one other artist. So I oh, would cool. have half, half the gallery. It's a cool little spot. I like oh, it. Oh, yeah, I have been down there. I went down there for Vincent Castiglia's. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, right. And uh yeah, and I I met I actually met Vincent for the first time at that um Lethal Amounts show I was talking about earlier with the dead cat. Right. Uh and so I've been chatting up with Vincent. He he and I know a lot of a lot of people in common and I love his work and so uh Another really I'm going to go I'm going to go check too. out his studio soon. He's got a studio set up here so i, I was gonna check out his stuff but he's, he's got a new studio i think yeah he, he, well yeah. he's well he's from the east coast and he just moved here i guess about a year ago right, so he yeah. finally got everything all set up and, and and uh he invited me out to go check out the studio so i'm looking forward to checking that out yeah for those that don't know vincent he he works exclusively in uh in human blood yes he he's we, we've had team. we've interviewed him on the podcast <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure you have you're a good one to get. yeah and again another yeah, another guy another guy into creepy ass shit is super nice yeah you know? for sure yeah <laughs> i mean he's a really he's a really warm guy yeah you know, right for somebody who probably scared living shit out of you if you saw him walking the other direction <laughs> right yeah. and he had he had a relationship with hr giger which blows my mind i mean that's like a it's right. like being friends with god I, my, know, I, know. I have hr giger tattooed all over my body um i just i can't believe he had that that relationship i'm so jealous i know me too <laughs> <laughs> it's when you'll never get you know because he's gone so yeah so yeah, the, the best I got was, um, I, I knew someone who knew Bekshinsky, you know, Bekshinsky, not familiar. No. Oh my God. If you love Giger, you're going to, I'm sure, I'm sure if I saw the work, <laughs> I know I'm not good with connecting. Okay. Okay. Work, He's Be- Bekshinsky is like the mummy, mummy version of Giger in a way. Okay. It's like Giger's more of these, you know, biomechanical right. stuff and Bekshinsky's like, Earth tones and oh, I think I know. I think skeleton, I know. Yeah. Cor- corpse-like people and yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. He's, he's he's amazing. But I did get. I knew this art artist that uh, his name was Lucas Banach, I think, and he was a fan of mine. And I'm like, hey, he's like, yeah, I, I live down the street from Bekshinsky. and I was like, oh, oh shit, can you send him this uh, uh, 
DVD I did of these animations. <laughs> and so he did get to Bekshinsky saw my Disturb the Normal DVD, nice. which was my uh the animations I did for um the tool stuff and cool. the stuff I did nice. for art and and he and he liked it and he just said he wished the animations were longer. So nice. but, I, but still still like yeah. you know the guy, you know, like I made a connection with the guy and uh yeah, so and and you know, I've got to connect with a few heroes for sure a few of my yeah. art heroes like clive barker and stuff you know oh nice yeah he was he liked art he liked the documentary that my friend mike uh, carell made about me he he put gave us a quote for for the documentary cover and stuff oh nice yeah really cool and i was yeah. like huge clive barker fan growing up and yeah you know all this there shit. was one time where uh back was several years ago i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do with my band's album cover and i ended up doing it myself but i got to a point where i was like i'm so sick of doing art for my band i kind of just wanted to hire somebody right. else to do the cover for our album and uh i emailed uh with brahm back and forth and i was such a huge fan oh of yeah same, oh, he's another one my price range at the time but i mean i'm such a big brahm fan and then i recently became friends with his with his, him and his and his wife on social media right he's commented on some of my things and she's a brilliant painter as well right. and i'm like oh wow these are people i've been such huge fans of and they're kind of aware of me and that's kind of cool say you know? yes say he's another one he's like he was one of the reasons i started painting i, I got one of his books in the 90s and i was like you know i couldn't believe someone was was making fine yeah. art like this and huge fan of Brom. Yeah. And so that, so I was, yeah, he's been on the show. He came on the show too. He was like, oh, that's great. The big, yeah. the big get for me. So, um, I'll have to spend a bunch of time and go back to your podcast. Oh, there's all kinds the of good shit. Yeah. Paul, probably Paul three Booth weeks and, worth of, uh, Oh yeah. There's tons. Audio, <laughs> there's so many good artists. You'll love it. Yeah. yeah it's great. Well, um, I'm going to, wrap this up a little yeah, early sure, because man. i know it's you have to go to work tomorrow we started <laughs> kind of late it's like 11 15 right now and yeah. i don't want to keep you too long but i could keep no talk, worries i think we, I think we covered everything we need to cover yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i i appreciate you coming on i'm a big fan of your work thanks uh, I, man that I, means a lot to me because i've been a fan of your work for a while and it really means a lot to me to to be given the opportunity to chat with you and, and talk about art man i'm a big fan and Thanks so much for having me, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's great to have another. Uh, it's it's it's. I, I love it when there's another great artist that comes up in the dark art scene. That's like, I'm doing this kind of. You know, I'm painting in this, in this realm. It's like nice yes. to have another. You know, it's like good to have yeah. you have you in the scene. It's like the scene thanks, need, needs that, more that, good that artists. Means so like much you. to me. Thanks, man. I really yeah, appreciate it. So. That's cool. awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and um, thank you everybody for listening and supporting and you can support the the po podcast if, if you like at uh, patreon.com slash darkartsociety for as little as a dollar a day and you'll get the podcast a whole day early. That's one of your benefits and you get access to the new darkartsociety.com podcast that jo uh, uh, the website that Josh G made that's really amazing. It's a little private website and uh thank you everybody for listening and and thanks again adam for coming on thanks man appreciate it all right say goodbye to everybody say bye, bye everybody thanks for listening bye everybody oh follow my instagram too oh yeah yeah what, what's your ac underscore mccarthy m-c-c-a-r-t-h-y yeah okay. it's, it's not a very it doesn't exactly roll off your tongue <laughs> when i created the, the username i 
wasn't even thinking about using it to promote my artwork. Right. Yeah, so it's AC underscore McCarthy. Okay, that's I'll get all the all your links as well, and they'll be in the cool. description of the podcast yeah. and stuff. So, or, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, thanks yeah, again. Thanks again. All right.